0: Hey, everyone. It's Hit Factory. My name is Aaron. I'm Carly. And today we have a great guest uh, to talk with us about an excellent movie, a timely movie. Um, he is the host of Struggle Session podcast. Leslie Lee III is joining us today. Leslie, thanks so much for being here.
1: Uh, thank you so much for having me. Uh, excited to talk about this wonderful film that I have loved uh, since the day it came out. <laughs> I uh, have also
0: been uh, a huge fan of this uh, since, since the get-go. This is Carly's first introduction to the film. I guess we should s- say what movie we're talking about first and foremost. Uh, it is the 1995 Mortal Kombat uh, directed by Paul W.S. Anderson. This is not a PTA production. This is the, the other Hollywood Paul Anderson. Really wonderful, lovely filmmaker, this this film, gosh, I, I have loved it since since it came out. I was always a big fan of the games. I remember very vividly being, uh, you know, a kid and and in arcades and, and playing this game and just like marveling at the fatalities and like the bloodiness of all of it and parents being upset about it. And it, it was uh, it's just yeah, such a like a fond memory and like a very 90s kind of uh concede 90s kind of output here. Um, but Leslie, I, I'm interested to, to hear a little bit about your history with with Mortal Kombat, both the video game franchise and all of its correlating films and, and other products.
1: Oh yeah, I've always been a huge fan. I was the perfect age. The movie came out in 1995 on my birthday, the day I turned 13 years old. So <laughs> the, I... It, Mortal Kombat was always right up my alley. I played the vi- video games a lot. I don't know if I ever played the first one in arcades, but I definitely played the second one a lot. Had the first one on Super Nintendo, the bloodless version. Remember when they yeah. uh, when first? Because Super Nintendo didn't do mature games, whatever that meant at the time. So there was no blood in the Super Nintendo version of Mortal Kombat, but still kind of looked and played a bit better than the Genesis version, just because the Genesis uh, the Super Nintendo was a little bit more powerful at that point. But then Mortal Kombat 2 comes out, then we get the full thing on both systems, and uh, and the game is just much more interesting, much more fun with the blood. I've and I, that was around the time when the movie came out as well. I absolutely adored this movie i i I still remember getting chill seeing the trailer for the first time i'm like (laughs) oh my god this is even cooler than you would think because it's not like we expect i i I was old enough and savvy enough to know that just because there's an adaptation of something i like that doesn't mean that it's going to be good but i saw this trailer for this i'm like holy crap they actually like kind of did it and actually looks cooler than the video game i'm seeing new stuff in here yeah, it
0: it I, I think at this point too, you know, people had been burned a little bit by by video game adaptations. We had Super Mario yeah. Brothers Super and Street Mario. Fighter, <laughs> right? Um, and and these things were not. Great. I mean, you know, cer- certainly had a level of, of adoration for the the, pr- the video game product itself. But, you know, I think fans were left a little bit lukewarm on them And this one.
1: Although the Street Fighter film has is having a bit of a renaissance now as sort of this labor of love by all these people who really just put their all into this film. That's pretty bad, but still has some charming moments and a pretty cool cast. So some people are being won over by the fact that raw Julia was coming up with the fight choreography on the day of while he was dying of ca- with cancer yes. and doing wild. <laughs> absolutely baffling yeah
0: Raul Julia is like one of my favorite actors I think he's phenomenal and and yeah. the fact that he's in this you know fighting game the Street Fighter adaptation and also so, so near to the end of his life is absolutely a, a really endearing part of, of the legacy of the movie Van Damme obviously in there and you know an interesting tie to to the Mortal Kombat franchise as a whole that you know the the creators initially wanted to just call the game Van Dam and have those words like on there there was a bunch of other ones too like like Eternal Fist or something. Like a lot of those like very Eternal cliche fist. Mortal Kombat names that weren't Mortal Kombat. Um, so I'm glad they, they settled on this one eventually.
1: And brave to go with the K because that was a very bold 90s move that somehow <laughs> has aged well. I don't know how, how we have just accepted that they spell combat with a K and that's okay.
2: Well, it's funny too to think about how like in sort of 21st century tech culture that thing is very prevalent right like taking a word and spelling it with like a slightly different letter or like taking the this like weird phenomenon of taking the vowels out of words and just having the the word be consonants (laughs) but this was like anticipating all of that and doing it in like a really interesting and authentic way there's something about the k that just feels acrobatic More so than a C,
0: it feels very necessary,
1: yeah. And even the logo, which is the first logo they came up with, still have it, haven't needed to change it one at all. Like, it's rare that you know, for a video game that's so kind of silly and goofy, they had they made a lot of aesthetic choices that are just gonna hold up forever,
2: yeah. And I was, I was thinking that too about that. I was searching for. Problematic portrayals of, you know, Asian culture. I was sort of expecting to see that in the movie, and I was surprised that the movie felt, you know, really reverent uh, for a lot of a lot of the practices, and and felt very much like it was steeped in those cultures. There were some things where it felt to me a little bit like it was kind of like pan Asianing everything, where there was a mixture of sort of like samurai aesthetic and, and some kung fu, and sometimes it felt like we were in India, and other times it felt like we were in China, and so there was a little bit of that, but um, the portrayals in particular um, seemed to have aged really well, and I was not expecting that.
1: Yeah, I, I guess the first film, Sony, Sonya Blade does become a damsel in distress after she <laughs> absolutely murks Kano. But her storyline ends, sadly, in the middle of the movie, and I can't figure out what to do with her. But other than that, like this, I, I was watch, this is actually my first time watching it in maybe 10 years. I ha- just hadn't gone back to it in um, a really long time and I was surprised by like how much I still enjoyed it much more than a lot of movies from the era and I could show I, I feel like you could show this to someone and they still you know just have a lot of fun with it like what struck me just starting it off and I think this might be even be a problem with the new Mortal Kombat that I haven't seen yet. As soon as this mo- movie starts off, you know that you're watching a movie. This is not the real world. This is <laughs> a place where you have martial arts tournaments where like, and the fate of the world is at stake where you can have dreams of your brother dying and have his soul sucked out and it makes logical sense. You know straight up for, uh, where... T- uh, five, uh, ten minutes into the film Shang soon transforms in another person you don't have to explain it with like the <laughs> Avengers you start the movie off in like an office in like Atlanta in like the office in, like a parking lot somewhere you know it, it just the movie just start, hits so different uh, than uh, the movies today genre movies today where they're trying to make it like really grounded like the dark night like the, like the dark notification of everything which yes. this movie just does not have and has like does not live in this world lives in a fantasy world uh it's really also uh, almost feels like a children's movie with like violence in it but and, and it just holds up so well
0: that's a really astute point i i think that yes you know i being the only person here probably who has thus far seen the new mortal kombat um and, and like some things about it, it definitely does try to like uh, hem very close to that. Like, let's let's set this in the real world and make the fantastical elements uh, more explicable, more like understated. And 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 let's try to find reasons for their existence as opposed to just going all in on it. And, you know, there was definitely this sort of like, you know, early and mid aught sort of moment where genre film started doing that thing and making either like a really grounded gritty real world thing a la, you know, the Nolan Batmans or trying to find a way to like play off of that like real world with like a fantasy world kind of penetrating it. And I don't really think that that like suspension of disbelief and just like putting us in the middle of this, this new environment was a thing that people were, were really rebelling against so much as I think that some films maybe just got a little bit lazy in terms of their world building and didn't explain like the stakes or the 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 sort of like general premise of what we were looking at and why things are the way they are and i think that this movie you know for as dated as some elements of it are you know the the 95 mortal kombat certainly goes all in on its sort of like environments and its its aesthetic and tone and and just says like you're in this fantasy world and like you know you're you're going to go along with it and we're going to explain to you like the the more sort of thematic and and character stakes of the thing, but we don't need to necessarily explain why this thing doesn't exist in the world that you live in, because it's a, it's a movie, it's a fantasy. It's it's a you know byproduct of our imagination. And I think for that reason, there is, yeah, this this transporting kind of nature to to this film that uh that feels very nostalgic and also just like really lovingly rendered by the filmmaker and by the characters in it.
1: Yeah, and so really, you were talk You mentioned, you know, the the set, the uh, the design of it, and how it looks. Look at this movie carefully. This is was not an expensive movie, but do you actually think you will ever see like a big budget genre movie with that much love and care put into the sets like ever again? Like, I don't know if that will ever happen. But you look at that throne room. You look at the, you know, the outside tournament place, the you know, the ladder place where Scorpion and um, Johnny Cage fight, which was the thing that really popped out at me in the commercials. And I remember actually watching like a behind the scenes where the set designers were talking about building all this huge stuff for you know this kind of mid 18 million dollar movie based on the video game that no one thought was really gonna have any sort of success but it, there's just so much love and care put into it and it just looks it still looks so good and I just I don't think we'll I'll ever see a movie that looks like this again
2: I was surprised at how how many different points I felt like they were purposefully or not, um, it felt kind of Indiana Jones setting. but in oh, my yeah. mind, I was like, but that the budget for those films was you know, astronomical, right? So they could build an entire temple of doom they could do. and and yet this movie was able to be really evocative of a lot of those settings and places, as you said, without like this giant budget and do it do it really lovingly. You're also making me realize, Leslie, that as a newcomer to the movie and the franchise, um, like I was old enough to remember when this came out, uh, you know, I was like, I don't know what I was doing back then, but I was not playing Mortal Kombat. The most I ever did was Mario Kart. Um, So I'm not, I'm like a novice when it comes to this franchise, but you're also making me realize that I think one of the reasons I had trouble watching this as an adult and not having experienced it as a, as a child is that I was doing the thing that you're talking about. I've been so trained and bludgeoned into submission by these realist portrayals uh, that we get in a lot of these comic movies and, and action flicks that I kept trying to make sense of things. And so I would stop and ask Aaron, like... Mm-hmm. Wait, but where where are we? And he was like, no, no, no. You need to just you need to just stop asking questions and just watch the movie. And I <laughs> you're you're making me realize that 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 is what was problematizing it for me is that I kept trying to make it something that it wasn't. I kept trying to orient it in some recognizable logical real world landscape and that that was preventing me from like actually going along with the story and being taken away from it and you're also making me realize too that in doing that the movie was really brave and really like taking risks that a lot of filmmakers today just won't won't take
1: yeah and the thing of it is this movie was a just a hit in general right like like this made 118 uh something million dollars which was 122 million dollars which is huge for a uh, a video game movie at this time it, it was a like a, a bit of a cultural sensation everyone heard that 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 uh, UK hard house song, or that Moral Combat, that every like everyone was talking about this. People were trying to make their own Moral Combat, try to rip off this phenomenon. It was in the news. It was everywhere. But it still like had. But it's st- I, I don't know it, it, it wasn't try, it was still itself the movie was still satisfactory to the people who just like want a video game where they can replay like kung fu movies from the 70s with like superpowers mixed in you know it, it didn't really try to change or integrate itself it was just like hey this is this thing everybody and everybody like comes to it uh, with an open mind and has fun with it
0: yeah and to, to what Carly was saying a little bit, like, yeah, there, there's just like a ton of passion here and so much that that rewards the fans and also non-fans alike. And, and not to give too much away, you know, for, for people who haven't seen this, this new product yet, this new film, but this is still the only live-action Mortal Kombat adaptation that really leans into and, and really, really emphasizes the tournament, the fighting yes. element of the games. And like... That to me is something that I, I always want to see, and when I'm not, and when I'm denied it, it it is a little bit disappointing because like you you do want those matchups, and they do a pretty good job of like matching up the characters with sort of their like kind of like character opposites within the game and within like the the narrative of the movie you know the the Sonia and Kano one especially you know for as like kind of loudmouthy and and silly as Kano is in the film like that's a satisfying moment you know getting to see Sonia yeah, like so like good. break his neck with her legs and <laughs> and uh the I mean the Johnny Cage and Scorpion fight in this movie too when they like kind of go into like hell the and, like this Nether realm yeah. that is like such a, a an aesthetically just like awe inspiring scene like you know it, it, it's it's you know, this this sort of dark, uh, kind of ancient throne room, like you said, and then all of a sudden we're in this place that, as Carly mentioned, you, you don't really know exactly where it is if you're not Oh, actually, be-
1: before that, we're in the, pla- the forest. Oh, the that's forest, right. Which that's is right. such a stunning, you know, location, that absolutely amazing forest that they have. I-, I remember that, too, from the commercial. I'm like, what is this? Is this on actually planet Earth? Like, completely, like... <laughs> Like that, just the level of time and care that it takes, the visuals in it, and that was just the first scene of the fight. They had the whole other set too, like that. That fight scene is just is even though you know it's so silly. It's like a fire man skeleton <laughs> versus <laughs> like Tom Cruise or something like that, <laughs> or, or American John Claude, and it's yep. st- and it's just so fun and it, it works so well and it really looks cool. It's just uh just absolutely I love so much of this movie, but that's probably my favorite part.
2: That scene had me blown away. Like I when I was when I was watching the movie, I was writing down some things like. That scene in particular, I just wrote like a bunch of exclamation points because I was, I was really taken aback by how distinct that particular set piece felt. Even, I felt like even the way they were shooting some of the the impacts of the hits were a little, just felt more visceral. Like I was more, I was more sort of like impacted and, and uh, feeling the fight with that particular set piece than I was in a lot of the other ones. And that's not to say that the that the other fights aren't just as exciting, but there is something really glorious about that one and the fact that it takes place in these sort of three distinct, um, three distinct settings, and that each of them has their own look and feel and the way that they're shooting the fights, the way that they're shooting the the punches being landed, and then just culminating in this like S- scaffolding ablaze in like lava and flames, and it, it just all feels really precarious. That- and a
1: real explosion, a real, a explosion, real explosion on Scorpion <laughs> worth <laughs> worth knowing. You you miss it, but they actually explode, blew something up in their that beautiful set to give us the <laughs> that great fatality death scene.
2: The practical effects in this movie, I think. We should talk about because yes. they're they're really pretty spectacular. The you know, the I'm going to forget his name. G- I was, f- was going to go here. Goro. Yes.
0: Yeah. Goro. Like, I, it's and you can see probably, you know, you, I, I could imagine a version of this movie, especially in 1995, when visual effects were still sort of like in the sort of nascent period and and kind of. Becoming, you know, more abundantly available, but still, you know, not not quite there yet. That they would shy away from showing as much of this character as they did, and especially from shying away from like putting him in an actual fight scene. But the movie goes there, and the movie does a really good job of like rendering this this practical effect version of this like giant four armed monster. And it's just like it's really impressive. I mean, it, it's a little bit campy by today's standards, sure, but like there is something about it that feels very uh i don't know very brave to like to yeah. go there and to like utilize him the way that they do
1: well it, it's it, it's better than it has any right to be it looks so it really does look good obviously he can't really move he can't really do much he can't really fight they uh the fights with him they do a lot of cheats where you know it's like really close in perspective right. but hmm. you know it it goddamn if it doesn't look good and like even still like you know this is a a low budget mid budget movie They can't get everything they want. And we used to be okay with that in movies too, right? (laughs) We used to understand on a certain level, you're not always going to get everything you want to see in a movie that you're not always going to get that, get all the monster, the full view of this or that creature or monster. But I think really like the girl, I was surprised by how good it looks. And I, I can't believe I just took it for granted almost back then. Like, like they there was, like it. What does Goro look like in the new one? Like I, I would be surprised if if he's in it. I would be surprised if he looks as good.
0: Yeah, I yeah I will spoil it here. He he is in the new film. He is uh, extremely underutilized and a complete CGI creation. There's mm-hmm. there is a lot of uh, his aesthetic and like his movement and and his vocal intonation things like that that are really indebted to uh, to the Hulk and. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it doesn't feel like a, a particularly original creation on their behalf. It doesn't seem like it's as lovingly rendered as it as it is in the '95 version by any means. And I also like to, you know, if we're on the topic of Goro and specifically that fight scene with Johnny Cage right now, that that Mortal Kombat the games like people sometimes forget that. They're kind of silly, you know. Like the point of like the, the the like the brutality and and these fatalities and the bloodiness of it all was meant to kind of be so absurdly and over the top violent that it almost makes you laugh rather than it makes you like cringe or wince.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: And and then there's like you know friendships and eventually like animalities and babalities and like all of these other like silly little in game things that happen over the course of of the the franchise's uh, you know lifespan. Uh, and, and one of the original kind of like funny tongue-in-cheek elements of the fighting game is like one of Johnny Cage's signature moves where he goes into a split and punches the character in the crotch. <laughs> and, they, and they get around having to like develop this really intricate and complex fight scene between him and Goro by just like <laughs> starting it off with, uh, you know, his Achilles heel being that Goro like has balls, basically, <laughs> and, yeah. and that they can be punched. It, it's not unlike, you know, if we're going back to the Indiana Jones illusion, it's not unlike that scene in which, uh, you know, they kind of set up the anticipation of that really uh, intense fight with the guy with the swords. Yes. And then Harrison Ford just kind of like draws his pistol and shoots him from yeah, like, yeah. you know, like 20 feet away. <laughs> it's, it's kind of the same impulse and, it, and it, it gets a laugh, also kind of like a little bit of an eye roll for its silliness. But it is, I, th- I think, really lovingly rendered with, with uh, in admiration for the, the, the sillier elements of the games.
1: Yeah, like this film is a pretty funny like film and, and a lot of times it feels like a kids movie that they've aged up. Like all the, like even the main characters, the relationships between Luke Kang giant cage and Sonya blade is very much like the three kids you would have and then like a tv show like a disney movie just kind of mm-hmm. aged yeah. up yeah and i also realized on this viewing it's also star wars it is just, star wars i said is, the same thing to carly yeah, it's like it's yeah.
0: just the it's it's exactly the star wars trio
1: <laughs> yeah yeah it is uh, obviously luke kang as uh luke skywalker giant cage han solo Sonya blade as princess leia kind of a i i feel like uh Similarly, I feel like maybe similarly, too, because Princess Leia ends up not having much to do at the end. In fact, is technically a damsel in distress. Damsel in you, distress. Mm-hmm. She is yep. techni- well, along with the rest of the uh, rep, uh, rebel alliance. But yeah, technically, uh, yeah. So I very similar um, vibes to it. And it just like works. And I really like their friendship and how they get along. I actually, you end up liking the characters, which you don't, you're people. I, you weren't going for a moral combat movie to end up like liking characters. You just want to see some fights, but you, but all the good kung fu movies know that you gotta make people invested in the characters uh john claude van damme's character and kickboxer they spend a lot of time making us like him by having him like uh make all like cops look silly and stuff like that you know <laughs> or saving people on the street he's got to be more than just the fights you also want uh, the likable character. and i think the cast in this is just so good and it's so sad that like None of these people became big stars uh, after this movie, even though it would have been very nice. Some of them did a, a good bit of TV, some B movies, mm. but uh, sadly, uh, not. This wasn't a star vehicle for anyone.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like the biggest name in the film is probably Christopher Lambert, who's playing yeah. Raiden, or, or you know, the, the Obi Wan character, the Highlander. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. and he, yeah, and he was, and he was the biggest name at the time, and he was specifically brought in. And I, I remember pe- some people were kind of mad at the casting, first of all, because uh, Raid is supposed to be Asian. And then it was just... see. And and also people were mad Christopher Lambert is French. So it like it was like <laughs> double like if you're gonna get a white guy to play Raiden, at least have him be like a white guy who speaks normal, speaks ink, speaks American. But <laughs> but yeah, people were kinda of mad about that, but it ended up, you know, kinda of working. And he was like at the time th- these type of movies, they would always get like one person who was kind of famous to mm-hmm. put in the kind of ground and tell you, No, know, no, no, this is a real movie. Like you've seen Christopher Lambert in Highlander, bro also a few other things he's actually a kind of a movie star um, so we're we're going to put him in and I remember I think all the commercials it would be like and featuring Christopher Lambert to just as a <laughs> final let you know that a real person uh, is in the movie
2: I actually really liked that his accent was kind of odd and like anachronistic sort of like out of time out of place where you know he, he delivered these lines that were you know in one breath like really grave really serious and then he would like follow it up with like an awkward chuckle or like a yeah. strange one-liner where he'd be yeah. like
0: one of you three will decide the outcome of the tournament the fate of billions will depend upon you <laughs>
2: uh, isn't that, isn't that right? Or whatever. And he'd laugh to himself. No one else is laughing. And I just felt like that, that made the character of Raiden, like it, it just endeared me more to him than if he was just this like very self-serious, um, kind of like overwrought, you know, sensei, uh, character. So I, I really liked that he was kind of silly and that, and that he did have this this strange accent that didn't seem to fit in with the rest of the landscape. I don't know, you know, how much of that was Christopher Lambert or or how much of that was the, the writing of him, but either way, I think he did a really great job navigating this very fine line between, you know, a really serious uh, sensei type and also this sort of like comic relief in a couple of these really tense moments.
0: Well, and I think too, like, in that regard, he kind of imbues the character with some of that sort of aloofness and nonchalance of some of the like uh like Greek mythology adaptations. Like I think about like Clash of the Titans specifically from the eighties, where you know, there's mm. these kind of like godlike characters, creatures who are invested sort of like personally, but also see everything as sort of beneath them. That 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 the stakes there are are very terrestrial, you know, that that they're very rooted in this like conflict that they are they they have a a, that they care about a little bit but Mm -hmm. also you know realize it doesn't explicitly affect me i'm trying to help you guys out you know (laughs) and i think that there's like a certain level of that here where he just you know the the way that he has these like silly kind of one-liners and chuckles um yeah definitely separates him and and uh, is is a departure from the kind of like self-seriousness and, and intensity of like the, the video game Raiden and certainly other interpretations of the character.
1: Yeah, the video game Raiden is, does not have a sense of humor at all. He's like, Liu <laughs> Kang, the real, Earth realms are about to be defeated. Once again, we need your help. Uh, who's, it's always Johnny Cage Just the funny one. Uh, in the games, for the most yeah. part, I, I I think who else, who else is a fu- is a funny Mortal Kombat character? I think there are a couple others. I think Rep- Reptile sometimes is funny. Oh, the new Bug Lady in the new one, she's funny sometimes. I forget uh, her name. <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know names, if you've but... been. I've I've played the recent ones because a few years ago they re- kind of rebooted, but not really. Uh, all the Defenders of the Earth were killed by Shao khan and he like con- took over the universe. And uh, basically, and defend, uh, and he won. He won the v- bad guys win at the end, uh, and the apocalypse goes down and at the last moment. Raiden. Is able to send part of his consciousness back in time to the first Mortal Kombat tournament, and they called that game just Mortal Kombat, even though it was Mortal Kombat. I think nine, and since then they've mm-hmm. been on this new timeline where Raiden is trying to change things, but he screws things up. Uh, Liu Kang and Kung Lao end up dead, um, and zombies and evil and stuff, and things <laughs> and Jax too as well. So it, they've actually maintained a consistent continuity throughout all the games all the years it still is one story
0: yeah I've always been really impressed with a lot of the Mortal Kombat lore and just the the way that they've been able to extract so much out of what what was sort of at its core uh, a very very thin premise meant to just be there to like you know build a fighting game around and and over the years they've just added more and more characters and added like all of these uh sort of like personal relationships you know like the introduction of like melina like early on is like and then katana is like these sisters who who have almost kind of like a Gamora nebula type thing going from yes. like the marvel movies
1: and well before them before them actually they had it uh, going they did it first actually i think uh i won't maybe uh, well, i guess the uh the comic books have, have, have no, no, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think. Maybe Mortal Kombat did it first. Depending Mortal Kombat on might have done it first. The first, because I'm trying to remember the little, the Marvel continuity and the portrayal. Yeah, they did change the portrayal of Nebula, but I don't know. But yeah, like there is a, a deep lore and continuity here, and I have a lot of fun with it, but you mentioned like this very thin premise, and, and I did want to talk about this. The idea of just a tournament, as a story as a movie is perfect it's a perfect is perfect it's all you need to ever make a good movie and as this movie shows you don't even have to really explain how the tournament even works you don't even have to show a bracket (laughs) i would (laughs) love for someone to watch this movie and show me the bracket of the tournament and how this works it's impossible (laughs) to know but all you know is yeah, but you know you have a reason for people to fight. You know what the stakes are. Then you can dive into the personal stakes for the for the individual competitors, the personal rivalries. Of course, the best friend is going to get killed by the vi- by the villain in order to inspire the hero to win that final contest. It's such a simple premise. It's done been done in so many movies, like dozens and dozens of movies, but by God, it pretty much always works.
2: I have a not substantive question for for both of you um because I can't like you know uh speak to the games but one of the referential points that I had for um the sorcerer did did either of you ever watch the original iron chef that was in Japan No no Okay so there's there the original iron chef is like very Like it has a lot of pomp and circumstance. There's like, uh, you know, costumes and smoke machines and it's totally fun and really cool and used to be my favorite, one of my favorite things to watch when it was on. And there is a chairman uh, in the same way that there is a chairman in the, the, uh, later Iron Chefs that came to America, but his name is Chairman Kaga, and he has this opening sequence in the old Iron Chefs that, that took place in Japan, where he's talking about his search for, you know, the meaning of life and like where flavor comes from and the essence of like existence and all this like really intense stuff. And he bites into a, a bell pepper and looks at the screen and laughs. And I just felt like the sorcerer was Chairman Kaga. Like the entire time I kept thinking about this one guy because they have very similar like ways about them. They have long flowing hair. They're sort of cackling all the time. They're like very like, you know, amused by everyone, but also they just think so little of, of the people that are around them. That was my one sort of uh, pop culture reference your, point. Your
0: connection to My one to connection. The I two. was <laughs> like, this guy
2: is Chairman Kaga. All right, I'm done now.
0: <laughs> I just imagine like Chairman Kaga doing that kind of like low angle point and stare where he says, your soul is mine, but he's talking about the fish. No, he literally instead. does that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I'm looking and it looks like Shang Tsung... Uh, uh, so, Chairman Kaga debuted 1993 Mortal Kombat video game. I believe 1994 first Mortal Kombat. No, first 1992.
0: 1992. Yeah. 1992. Okay. okay. So, yet another yet another pop culture reference point <laughs> that. Potentially inspired by
1: Mortal. That Kombat. is inspired
2: by Mortal Kombat. We, I, I'm well, going go it, on record as making that argument.
1: Yeah, it, well, it is. It, we do have to say, if there is any problematic pr- presentation, it would be Shang Tsung. Kind of uh, the the character is kind of an amalgamation of orientalist villains but at the same time it's also an amalgamation of kung fu villains from actual uh, movies in asia and of course played by played wonderfully by a japanese actor and i i i end up loving the character but i can see what where, where somebody may see shang tsung and have some problems with it, but mostly because of overlap with other right. things which aren't as respectful as Mortal Kombat the series has a, a been with I think in general I don't in general I don't think Mortal Kombat has ever gotten a lot of flack or controversy for how it presents martial arts or Asia I mean it has a several Asian protagonists which more than you'll see in any other video game or media property pop as, even close to as popular in the west I can think maybe except for maybe Avatar the Last Airbender and that's a cartoon yep Completely. We
2: were talking about that very thing.
1: Yeah. And, you know, interesting,
0: too, uh, I guess there is sort of this like uh, inseparability with, you know, predominantly Asian casts and and their appeal to Western audiences and specifically martial arts films for a really, really long period of time up until, you know, like very recently. But but yeah, Mortal Kombat has always been one that feels really devoted to and, and lovingly kind of tied to that that legacy of martial arts cinema and and bringing it to a more mainstream Western audience. And, you know, like its popularity and its impact cannot be understated, I don't think. You know, we were, we were just kind of going down this sort of path with it and, and looking at other sort of parts of this giant, you know, vertical integration machine of, of other properties and, and other Mortal Kombat branded material. And Leslie, do you remember the like 1995 Mortal Kombat live tour?
2: You played it. You watched it. Now live it. Mortal Kombat: The Live Tour coming soon.
1: No, no, I did not know about that. I did not hear about that. I probably would have <laughs> tried to go if they had come to Baton Rouge. I had not heard about that. I remember the Ninja Turtles one. I didn't go mm-hmm. see it, but I did not remember that there was a Mortal Kombat Live Tour.
0: Wow. Yeah, like 200 cities, and they just like you know put put people in the costumes of the characters from the film and just had them do martial arts presumably to just like, you know, Belgian techno music for 2 hours. And and yeah, as like a as like a 9-year-old boy, I would have lost it to that. I would have just been going crazy at one of those shows. I really wish I'd had an opportunity to see it. You know, there was that, there were, you know, live action television series spin-offs, there were animated spin-offs, like th- this property was everywhere for a long time oh i'm
1: time. looking at the stage show and yeah they and obviously for kids and those uh these types of stage shows are still like really popular in japan like really like, like they're always going on for whatever the new uh kids uh like power rangers type show is going on i think they've fallen out of popularity in america yeah. since the 90s i can think of one i guess it moved to the t- more towards the on ice uh, sort of thing, but <laughs> right. yeah, we used to get little these little action tours. I don't know, maybe we can get them back.
2: I was marveling at the amount of like industries that Mortal Kombat had sort of seeped itself into. Like th- this is like peak 90s consumerism (laughs) of you know it's the games it's the movies it's the toys it's retail there's like clothing and and uh i remember like all the um we were watching today um some of the the preview materials that were released like before the movie then you have the live shows and i was i was thinking to myself too wondering if there had ever been any like Food like a McDonald's integration or something like that. I wouldn't have been surprised if they had also made it into that uh, that vertical as well. But it it's it's a testament to not only how popular this this property was, but I think just um, how pervasive it was. Like it's and still is like the the amount of places and kinds of products it's in. Um, and that you know people still have so much so much of a voracious appetite for I think speaks to speak to its potency and just what how much love there is for this particular property
1: yeah it's something that has really, and it started off being known primarily for the, contra- the sensational stuff. It was a viol- it was mm-hmm. the first hyper-mainstream, hyper-violent video game where you could rip someone's head off and then you see blood, pixelated blood and guts and all this stuff. And there's been a lot of games like this that have caused sensations because of their violence or the sex. But besides Mortal Kombat and GTA, none has ever... You know, none of those games really has stood the test of time. Maybe Doom, but I think Doom was, uh, I think Doom and Wolfenstein, they they were, I guess, a little controversial. But I think people were more shot, uh, still appreciated the 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 new genre that the games were creating but as far as uh like mortal combat people you know were very like kind of negative about it and, and publicly it was just like mortal combat was like a like satanic almost like there was almost like a mini <laughs> satanic panic around the word mortal combat in the 90s if your uh parents watched the nightly news but it it has stayed his last it has uh, has ups and downs as far as the games go where they've disappointed the fans with some of the entries but now it might be as strong as ever i don't know what the reception to the movie is but the games you know pretty people are still very very into the games and looking forward to more
0: yeah and they've really like kind of cornered i don't want to say cornered the market cuz there's tons of of these fighting games you know out there but like in terms of like it's it's very specific and and kind of novel style, the fatalities, the goriness of them. They there really isn't any game that that treads too much into this realm. I think largely for for fear of probably being compared to the champion Mortal Kombat. But, you know, there is obviously Street Fighter, there's Tekken, there's Dead or Alive, there's there's all of these different fighting games. And and all of them have uh you know their their own charms, but but Mortal Kombat still seems to stand very much apart as this franchise that really goes there and gets really, really creative with its like kind of viscera and gore and and the way that it like uses and, and utilizes that violence to almost almost comedic lengths.
1: Yeah, and there was a lot of games that tried to copy Mortal Kombat when it came out. There was a lot of games that tried to be that go specifically go to violent right I remember a pretty good one was Weapon Lord, which was uh, like a, a 2D fighting game where it was like a, all, it, all the characters were like Frank Franzetta paintings like Conan the Barbarian Mm -hmm. but even more like hardcore and dark and you could chop each other's heads off gut each other it was actually a pretty decent game but it still never got it never got a sequel I don't think any of the fake Mortal Kombat I can think of they had several ones even the uh, ones they even tried to do the same technique where they were photographing um the people um instead of drawing the characters they would just uh videotape uh, martial artists doing the moves, even a couple of games tried it as well, but I don't think any of them were able to uh, has has lasted as long as Mortal Kombat or even a fraction of it.
0: We were, you know, in, in preparation for the conversation, like I said, watching some, some videos and, and watching some things about the franchise and specifically about the film and, and caught a, a quick clip of uh, Siskel and Ebert at the movies and them talking about this movie. <laughs> uh, Gene Siskel actually very much enjoyed Adores it. Adores the yeah, movie. Basically said like, finally there's like a a, a a decent video game adaptation. I had a lot of fun. It was like a good time. And, and Ebert admitted that he liked it more than he thought he would. But one of the things that he mentions, which I think is is uh, a thing that's probably echoed by some of the fans was that you know he walked out of the theater and, and a lot of the fans of the video game franchise were disappointed that they got a, a pretty PG thirteen uh. Mortal Kombat that it didn't it didn't sort of live up to the reputation of that that controversy didn't go there with some of the fatalities but um, I I think that the film otherwise you know is really 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 gets the evocation of the game right and, and tends to definitely push the limits I think of the of the violence that's permitted. In, in a movie that doesn't have that R rating and certainly you know doesn't go into like sheer adult territory. Yeah, this
1: is probably easily and this was talked about a lot at the time. This is probably the most violent PG thirteen certainly up in to that point. I mean there are like brutal almost like decapitations and stuff like you get some pretty brutal by implication death by not making them bloody. He's able to right. get them to be pretty pretty nasty uh, at times.
2: I found Scorpion's death to be particularly brutal, and they got around it right because he ble- he doesn't bleed blood; yeah. he bleeds like lava or yeah. something. But it was still, I mean, they still managed to make it pretty gory and like and very visceral. It's interesting too to think about. I'm I'm glad you brought up the Satanic Panic thing, Leslie, because we were actually talking about that recently. Um, With regards to the movie Spawn and how, you know, sort of like in this era of the mid 90s, there was, you know, this bristling at, uh, at violence in media and this very sort of evangelical, you know, conceit that. Kids were consuming things that was rotting their that were rotting their brain and turning them evil. Like I remember, you know, everyone was like really upset with Marilyn Manson because he was the reason that like Columbine happened and and all this like you know really sensational stuff. And it's it's interesting to think about this movie. You know, I I don't remember and I wasn't as as steeped in it, but I I get the sense that despite the fact that there was a lot of a lot of fear around the time of sort of violence in media and violence in games for kids. I still get the sense that this movie was able to sort of punch through that like quite literally and metaphorically. And the fact that it's such a a broad franchise and is in so many verticals as it is just speak to the fact that like, it didn't really fall prey to that, that fear mongering that was taking place in the nineties back then around this, this kind of violence.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, the, the moral panics, uh, it it is really, we talk about this a lot on struggle session because people have just forgotten this endless history of like Mm -hmm. that people like, I don't mean, and like, Like Democrats, like Hillary Clinton, who was just running for president, was like a big made a big deal about this about video games, you know, being destructive to children. Like this was a thing that our major politicians were talking about, and it's completely silly. None of us would take it seriously now. My and obviously we don't take it seriously because we what we do we give kids phones now that they can see. Anything 10 times worse than anything you're ever going to see in the Mortal Kombat for real uh, at the touch as soon as they like just with a Google search. Uh,
2: we, we've talked about specifically that that Hillary Clinton speech when she's talking about super predators on the show where they were very explicitly tying uh, violence in media to to the violence that we were seeing in the country. And of course, that's all just smoke and mirrors to To remove the scrutiny and the blame from the fact that there are, you know, there are things like the 94 crime bill and there's mass incarceration and there's like the crack cocaine law. Like they didn't want to talk about any of that. They wanted to just talk about video games being the problem.
0: And well, and like didn't Hillary Clinton too, like... As a, as a senator, like, legislate something yeah, around like violence in media and video games? Like, it, it's not as far back as the 90s, even. Oh, yeah, it, yeah. Even... It
1: continued, yeah, after they were trying to, they were trying, they were, they were talking about like, they wanted to do like law, they wanted to like arrest like GameStop clerks if you sold video games, mature video <laughs> oh, games to a child. That was one bill that came f- fairly late in the game as far as this whole this larger culture war happened which you know the culture war started disappearing when the video game companies making the ultraviolet video games were sony and microsoft right like as soon as it, it the the big money got because you look at a game like the last of us they're that is an ultra-violent game. It has sex, sexuality, sexual violence in that game. Absolutely brutal, you know, highly detailed, brutal violence, but it's published and made by Sony. And no one's going to tell Sony they can't sell a 15-year-old that game.
2: Yep. And I think if you want to look at another example in the opposite direction, the we've talked about on the show before the chief of police who was um, – who was chief of police at the Los Angeles Police Department at the time of the Rodney King beating, ended up, you know, he he resigned from his position and he ended up actually going into, uh, like, consulting for video games, (laughs) where, like, he was very influential and in how um i can't remember the name of the video game that we I were talking either, about with but, taylor but there
0: was a, a specific like a fourth iteration of some like pc game about policing that he actually served as like one of the principal uh sort of like contracted uh administrators on like he he was there consulting for them and and making sure that it uh it leaned to the right side of this sort of like police epilogia in this like video
1: game you know coming and no up. one's
2: talking about that shit right
1: yeah, like that's never a problem. Like, or even, um, like, it, it was amazing. Like, and also, around the time we stopped caring about video game violence, was when the U.S. military decided to use, uh, create their own violent video game, America's Army.
2: Yep, mm-hmm. as a very effective recruiting tool.
1: <laughs> yeah, we don't we don't bother with you know
0: criticizing things like Call of Duty or like right. Brothers at Arms or anything like that that are you know supportive of of the troops and, and military involvement or any like the Tom Clancy uh, adaptations. But um, yeah, for for sure, you know, at the time where, where video games and violence in video games was made by more of these sort of like outliers or like kind of rebels like producing things, um, it was more of a threat to to the system, to this, like, moral cohesion that everyone was speaking about during, like, the culture wars of the 90s. And, you know, I, I think that if we're talking about that, we should probably talk about the filmmaker, Paul W.S. Anderson, as kind of one of these, like, very endearing, lovable sort of, like, uh, filmmakers who... who I, I don't know. He's just, he's so earnest in the things that he loves and the things that he makes. And it's fun to watch his career because like I, I love Event Horizon. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm also a fan of like the Resident Evil movies, like even the later ones, as silly as they are, like a Monster Hunter most recently. And, and it's just like, there's this charm to to him as sort of this kind of like, maybe not rebel, but certainly like kind of like a Hollywood outcast who like is always critically panned, but still gets to work with like pretty big budgets and makes these like, very endearing, fun genre action movies that are, you know, even now too also endearing for the fact that they serve sort of as like love letters to his wife as well. Cause he casts Mila Jovovich in them. Look at how
2: hot my wife is. Yeah.
0: Like, I don't know. He's just, he's a, he's always been one of those interesting filmmakers to me. And I think that like this movie very much sits sort of like in, in the realm of like his, his best output and, and, Uh, Right alongside all the things that he's done that that just sort of secure him for me in my mind as as this filmmaker who just is like unapologetically going to be himself and like make something that is is fundamentally him in every way.
1: Yeah, I'm a huge, huge uh, fan of Paul W.S. Anderson. I think he's the best of all the Anderson brothers, uh, Wes and the other Paul. Um, I'm sorry I come back to Paul W.'s. S's films just a bit more just because I mean they're so fun they're they're so and they have a lot and I think they're incredibly influential especially when you're looking at um, the how how you know superhero movies have taken over cinema? And these like they're copying stuff that he's done. Like every time you see those three D maps, that little, and uh, every time the Avengers are standing <laughs> yeah. around three D map, that's something that Paul W S Anderson was doing. You know, in his early films, in Event Horizon, in the first Resident Evil, where like he was v- getting very much into those technical things and taking uh things that video games do well and translate, trying to translate them to film, and it worked out you know very well like much better than you would have expected even in 1995 with Mortal Kombat nobody had really done anything before he had to figure out how like can you use these moves from a video game in a movie and have it not be completely and utterly goofy I think sometimes they're a little bit goofy but some most of the times <laughs> they, they do pretty work and as you mentioned with the goro scene using the nut punch the the little silly move they, it, it's a perfect cinema moment they're very surprised um I, I i'm just been a huge fan of his work i i, I don't want to hear anything negative about him. the only thing i'm ever mad at him about is that he didn't direct the second resident evil movie and that one's not any good sad to say that's the only bad one <laughs> and he should have done it he should have gone ahead and done it is that the one where they finally bring in nemesis yeah that's the one that's the one with uh nemesis in the city it's just not as good it's just not nearly as good it doesn't have the right tone um that his movies, like he, he's very good at striking the tone, where it's like he puts you in this kind of goofy world, but everything in the world is taken more or less seriously in one way or another. Even the humor is humor that people in that world living there would have. They're not making fun of the movie, which is happens so much in movies uh, t- today.
2: Yeah, that like sort of breaking the fourth wall, like wink and nod, that we think is cool, is just laziness. I think to your point, and you're right. The like even the I come back to the humor of Raiden, right, where like his humor is one of like an immortal being, right, yeah. where he's like, I don't know how you say these <laughs> things, ha 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 ha. He's not poking fun at the film. He's not. Uh, Mocking the sort of like cardboardness of the character that that is what his humor would be like. Yeah,
1: and I feel like if someone were trying to write a ra- the average screenwriter, w- trying to write a Raiden now, he would have to make a joke about like Instagram or TikTok or something. Yes. You would have <laughs> to make a like very explicit, direct reference to kids these days that would not be that would not last until that would not still be funny twenty years later. You're
0: so right. Yeah. I'm excited to to hear what you have to say about some of those jokes oh. in in Mortal Kombat 2021. Cause yeah, it's it's just like this thing where there's like this apprehension and and, you know, either inability or or unwillingness to really just like go for it and go like all in. And and so you have that kind of like remove. And you see it in a lot of the Marvel movies like we talked about too, you know, where there's these sort of like incredulous characters who are always sort of breaking the fourth wall and, and making these sort of meta jokes about how ridiculous and absurd the premise of the thing is so that the filmmakers can communicate through those those people that we we get it this is silly we are we you know this thing is out there but like just go with it and embrace it and yeah Paul WS Anderson like never does that <laughs> he just like he just accepts it he like builds the world and there's just like this like really genuine I keep coming back to the word earnestness to all of it that that is really endearing. It, it just feels like, you know, if we're talking ab- about him and we have before, you know, when we came across, you know, some Tony Scott movies too, like there's this sort of uh, auteuristic quality to it where like, you know, that it's, it's his because of the way that he builds a world. Like even if he's not considered one of these like sort of technical cinematic uh, mavens, he he still produces things that feel so uniquely like him and builds a world and atmosphere that feels like you say, Leslie, like, like the best qualities of a video game and, and makes them cinematic.
1: Yeah, I, 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 we haven't mentioned a, a, a film that I've grown to really love over the years by Paul W.S. Anderson, Alien vs. Predator, which I yeah. refused <laughs> to see when it, when I heard it announced. I'm like, what are you talking about? I I, I didn't even know that he had done it. Uh, initial, I was like, I don't want to see an Alien versus Predator movie. The comic books are cool, sure, but sure, but there's no way you're going to do it right. And it's PG-13, even still, like the director's cut, it's not quite an R rating. But I feel it's probably might be my third or fourth favorite Alien movie. Going back and look at it because <laughs> of the explicit uh, Lovecraft references, it's trying to adapt uh, at the Mounds of, of Madness because of you know the cast which i end up really re- really liking sanaya layton i absolutely adore as an actress she should be way more self and i really liked her character uh in the movie i really really Enjoy Alien versus Predator. I know that's a bit of a controversial uh, take for most people, but I think when you look at the whole of the Alien series, like that was that was it trying to tick up. It was trying to tick up. Like I think you <laughs> know three obviously a disappointment. I think either version, I'm sorry, is a disappointment. Four, you know. It is what it is. It's, it's Firefly with Alien, basically. It, it, it is Firefly it, with, <laughs> yeah, it's Firefly with Alien and Joss Whedon's weird stuff and the basketball playing. Um, uh, <laughs> 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 Which she—it's cool that she really, you know, hit the hoop where she throws it behind her back, yeah. it, and gets a net and uh, and uh, gets the shot, but. It's, it, it sucks in the movie. Like it's, it's it's cool that she did it in real life, but like that's the worst way to show that a character has good superpowers is to show them being good at basketball. They tried to yes. they also did this in the Daredevil with Ben Affleck as as well.
0: I, I'll i I'll stand by uh, you know, my love personally for For the assembly cut of Alien 3. I do actually really like that one, but I am just like an alien apologist through and through. I love Alien vs. Predator. I
1: I really expected to like the assembly cut because I remember watching Alien 3 like on on VHS, we rented it the week it got on VHS, and kind of being disappointed, but think it was okay, and then I hear about this assembly cut, and I'm like, oh, well, Fincher's great, I'm sure um, his original version would be a lot cooler, and hey, maybe it has some more stuff from David Tuhi, uh who did one of the passes on the script, who is mm-hmm. the a uh, person behind the Chronicles of Riddick. That's why uh, Alien Three feels like the Chronicles of Riddick at a lot of times, at, uh, or the Riddick universe, I should say. Um, but I watched it similarly and man, it just did nothing for me. I actually couldn't get through it. I will. I, I got maybe two thirds of the way through, and I turned to my partner. And I was like, "Are you liking this?" And she and they said no. And I was like, "Okay, well, I guess <laughs> we'll stop." It was very disappointing. We were going through the whole Alien series. Open hearts, open minds. But it just did nothing for me, but maybe, maybe the end picks up, and we just were tired at that point.
0: Yeah, I mean, it certainly moves slower than the rest of them, but you're making me realize too, because I've always been a defender of Alien versus Predator, that Paul W. Anderson managed to, to to do something really well that a lot of other filmmakers who are working with uh, very popular intellectual property don't do well which is like the fan service element where he gets it like just right and doesn't feel bludgeoning it doesn't feel overbearing like you know when you watch like a j.j abrams star wars movie and like yeah. every line is a reference to like a star wars bit it gets a little tedious but you know i'm thinking specifically of alien versus predator where where lance Henriksen basically plays like an early version of like his progeny oh, yeah. who go on to develop like the android and he's like sitting at a desk like doing work and he does the little knife trick but he does it with a pen between his fingers that he does in aliens and i'm like that's perfect. Like uh, that's all I needed to see is just like that little bit, so that you, we know that you know that we're yeah. all in on this together. <laughs> and and Anderson does it a lot in Mortal Kombat too. Like he finds ways to get in those those funny little bits. And I, I think for for Carly it may have been like a little bit uh, more inexplicable. But like when when Scorpion yells like "Get over yeah. here!" and like when they're saying the lines like "Fatality" and "Flawless Victory" and all these little bits, like it doesn't feel overwrought it doesn't feel overbearing it just feels natural to like kind of the the heightened nature of the movie yeah
1: even just like with the casting because i mean i think there's very few people who could believe believably deliver lines like fatality and flawless victory and they found basically the one man who could do it in (laughs) Kari hiroyuki tagawa who makes those lines absolutely perfect and they sound sincere real and if you're if you had no idea the video game existed you wouldn't like raise your eyebrow at those lines
2: when he says and i don't know if this is from the game or not but when he says the line you disappoint me i there was something again like there was something about his delivery where, and i thought about this i was like any other movie with any other character any other situation that line would be laughable but he delivers it and you're like yeah, he's, <laughs> he's disappointed. That's he's not happy about yeah, that's it.
1: That's the thing that I think uh, Raúl Julia does in Street Fire as well. If you're going to be this over the top, ridiculous villain, you have to believe it. You have to play it. One hundred percent straight, and that absolutely works. And that's even funnier than if you're silly with it. Like it, like you can mm-hmm. you can enjoy it on both levels. We can enjoy it on the, the his how seriously he takes it, and then we can laugh at that and get a good genuine laugh from it instead of him trying to make it look silly and tell us that it's silly. Um, and I, I just think that Ws answers pretty good job at that in general in all his movies where with the humor just it just works naturally in a way that doesn't take you out of the film which is already so over the top you like it's pretty hard to kick you out of it so he, he he tries to keep you in with some real characters and some real humor humor and interactions
2: i know we're running a little bit long but i do i do want to bring up the the main title theme because if we're talking about like leaning hard into it and like really going for yeah. it and also like having a sense of like levity and reverence the main title theme is like the perfect parallel the perfect like counterpoint and like partner to the that sort of same tenor of the movie because the main title theme is so good but it's so silly but it's like it it is not making fun of itself it is like very earnestly like we were actually listening to the rest of the album the whole album about uh, that has a a song for each of the characters and the music is legitimately good I mean like you would think that that main title theme would just be the one that you know sort of knocked it out of the park but uh, the entire album does that same thing that you're saying Leslie where it it really is you know leaning 110 percent into the world and into the the sort of you know universe that we're in and in doing so also allows us to laugh along with it
1: yeah and and it was a standout soundtrack when it came out because movies didn't have you know hardcore techno music as their soundtrack. And this was like a bit of an experiment that absolutely paid off and worked. And that's why you hear that song at every single basketball game uh, you go to. (laughs) Uh, Because it just like it perfectly, you know, got the mood, got the got the mood of both, you know, I guess, you know, culture at the time, too, because it was pr- fairly timely doing a, a techno soundtrack because people in America especially were just kind of getting into, you know, dance music and the underground rave scene was just kind of starting. And this was, like, a lot of people's first time hearing, you know, electronic, this sort of electronic music or first time hearing it in, you know, this generation, this context, and it absolutely, absolutely worked. It's so good, and, like, it, along with the,
0: the logo is... One of the most enduring elements of this franchise that's been like co-opted into, like, all things Mortal Kombat. You know, like, like the games still like don't don't necessarily always you know utilize it or or, or showcase it as much as like the films do. But I you know watching Mortal Kombat twenty twenty one on HBO Max, you know, like there's uh, they hold it off for a little while, and I was wondering like, are they going to use it? Are they going to not? And then there's like this like orchestral version of it at one point in the movie, and uh, I, I got so pumped watching it. And I was like, man, like this, this song still hits. It's still good. Like, it's like the thing that I want. I, I want out of this kind of movie. I want out of this aesthetic. And yeah, it's it's just a bop. I'm, I'm glad that it exists. Like we're, we're haven't stopped humming it or, or singing it the since scream, like, we watched the movie. The
2: scream is the thing that gets my juice flowing. Like I was asking Aaron if the scream Mortal Kombat was in the game because it seemed like it was. And we actually found out that it wasn't. It was um, one of the one of the musicians had said that he sampled it from like an old commercial promotion for the game that came out like years oh, yeah. before the movie, and and I was like, that man, whoever he is. Bless him, because that scream is the best part of that song.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's from the first commercials. I, I, we, I forget that video game commercials used to. That was in the nineties. That was kind of their heyday when they kind of became big deal. I do remember that it was just somebody screaming "Mortal Kombat" in the streets, and everybody was running <laughs> to play this game because it was so fucking cool. Oh yeah, and they, they had that was a. Pretty much, that most of the commercials were like that. Somebody screaming in the streets, and everybody running to right. see it. But man, we haven't seen one of those in a while.
2: We have not.
1: We need to do one of those for Hit Factory. Yeah, <laughs> how
0: all, the, all the all the neighborhood children run to come and listen to the when latest you're screaming episode in the street. Hit Factory. <laughs> uh, well, I think that's probably a good place to to wrap up here. Uh, the film again is Mortal Kombat, directed by Paul W S Anderson. Watch it; it's fantastic. Leslie Lee III, thank you so much for being a guest on the show and hanging out with us for a little bit today. Uh, where can people find you and uh, and Struggle Session? Yeah,
1: you can find Struggle Session on all your podcasting platforms. And if you want to subscribe, you can do that at patreon.com slash struggle session or sesh.plus.
0: Leslie, we are, are such big fans of the show. We are really indebted to you for... Spending an hour with us talking about this fantastic movie, uh, hope we get a chance to to do it again with something really soon. Maybe we'll do a David Tuhi, uh bit oh, on the awesome. show. Pitch Black is a great one.
1: We absolutely love to. But thank you so much for having me. Of course.
0: Uh, as always, we're Hit Factory. Follow us at Hit Factory Pod. Subscribe at Patreon.com/slash Hit Factory Pod. Uh, shout out to our capitalist overlord Linda, and we will uh, catch you all the next time. Yeah,